0: listening to the On the NBA Beat podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts while right? The Lakers have two. Bryant to shoot. LeBron James with no regard for human life. Jordan, oh, a spectacular hold by Michael Jordan. And now, your host. Lauren Lee Chen, and the Twins, Aaron and Joshua Fisher. Thanks for tuning in. This is On the NBA Beat, and I'm Aaron Fisher. If you hadn't noticed, the 2023-24 NBA season is just about ready to begin on Tuesday, October 24th. For the occasion, On the NBA Beat spoke with a couple terrific reporters in Jake Fisher and Alex Kennedy, to help preview the Eastern and Western Conference, respectively. In the first of those two discussions, today's episode, I'm joined by Fisher, senior NBA reporter for Yahoo Sports and author of the tremendous book, Built to Lose, which chronicles how tanking changed the NBA forever. We did an episode on that. Feel free to check it out. We'll link it in the show notes. In our wide-ranging conversation recorded this Wednesday, Jacob pines on which of the top two projected squads he sees as the favorite to make it out of the East, and explains why Evan Mobley's ability to take his game to yet another level will determine how deep those Cavaliers will go this postseason. Among other topics, he also updates us on the lingering James Harden drama in Philadelphia, reflects on the top rookies out East, and provides analysis on his favorite Dark Horse team heading into the season. Anytime you can get Jake Fisher on, you jump at the chance. Not only is he a smart, thoughtful, and perceptive person, but he also has had his finger on the pulse of the NBA and broader pro basketball this entire offseason, traveling to the Philippines to cover the FIBA tournament and relentlessly running down sources regarding potential player movement for months before and after the tournament as well. Here, on the NBA Beat, we're grateful Jake is making another appearance where he can share all his insight. Okay, that's enough of me talking. Let's get to it here. It's such a treat to be able to do this Eastern preview with you, Jake. You've been obviously in the thick of things just all off season. so let's not waste any more time. September 27th was when the Bucks traded for Damian Lillard. Within four days, they really didn't waste any time. The Celtics responded by acquiring drew holiday now those two teams appear to be behemoths going into the season with possibly a large gap between them and the third eastern team also in the gm survey the celtics and nuggets each got 10 votes for expected champion but milwaukee got seven so clearly those are regarded as the three favorites Of those two teams, to which are you giving the ultimate edge? And what's the biggest thing that could derail each team's championship hopes this season?
1: I do think it's between Milwaukee and Boston for now. The Sixers stuff with James Harden doesn't seem to be coming to any real easy finish. And it's anyone's guess, truly. I mean, it's Daryl Morey's guess, James Harden's guess. It's Lawrence Frank's guess with the Clippers on how all that's going to unfold. So you have to kind of lean towards the two teams that on paper... Are the strongest. Obviously, Milwaukee fell very, very flat against M- Miami in the first round last year. But you know, the biggest supporters of the Damian Lillard acquisition on the Buck side of things will tell you that Milwaukee's real issue in the postseason and when games got tough was half court offense. And what better way to optimize Giannis Antetokounmpo than get the greatest perimeter playmaker shooter outside of Steph Curry that we might have ever seen in Damian Lillard? So. I, I am pretty bullish on the Bucks. I, I do think that they've got maybe a bit of a higher ceiling than, than I first thought after the, the Drew for Damian Lillard swap. But I think that Boston is the favorite in my opinion. I'm not so certain that Milwaukee got so much better as opposed to how much better Boston got by adding Drew Holiday to what they had. I think, you know, from Malcolm Brogdon and Robert Williams to Drew Holiday, you lose two key rotation pieces, but Brogdon's elbow injury m- made him not super effective. Uh, if, I don't even remember off the top of my head how if he... I think he missed some games against the Heat in the conference finals as well. Could be wrong. Honestly, it all blends together at this point.
0: I think he might have missed one or two.
1: Yeah, but losing Robert Williams, I mean, that's why they went out and got Kristaps Porzingis. Now you could poke a hole and say, well, the Celtics... You know they, they've been looking for greater center reinforcement for a while now. They were the other team besides Toronto that was linked to Jakob Pirtle back at the trade deadline in February because they wanted more assurance, more depth, just more in their front court. So to get Kristaps Porzingis, I think, kind of nullified the need for Robert Williams, especially in the regular season, where I do think the Celtics believe that Luke Cornett can kind of eat a lot of innings, if you will, during the regular season in the front court. So I just think the Celtics top six is way better and stronger. And to me, that's kind of how I like to look at things from like a playoff standpoint. You you go to Denver last season, their top six was, was pretty damn good, right? It was Jamal, KCP, Aaron Gordon, um, Michael Porter Jr., Nicole Jokic starting five with Bruce Brown off the bench. Sure, you have other pieces come into play and make you know key contributions, but I, I think it really comes down to that top six, ultimately. and The fact that Boston has their same core four, basically, of, of Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Derek White, Al Horford, you throw in Christos Porzingis, and then Drew Holiday, that, that's a pretty strong, switchable, malleable group that to me, they are the favorite in the East. I, I'd say, you know, who's a big threat to those guys? Like, who knows what happens to the Philly? I, I mean, Miami, they, they, I I don't know exactly what to make of them. Like, clearly, they marched their way through the playoffs, but they lost Gabe Vincent. They lost Max Truss. Kyle is a year older, and this is a team that still finished eighth in the East last year in the regular season, so... Um, if I'm looking at one team, like to me, the sneaky team that I'm curious about is Cleveland. You know, they add Max Struess, they add Georges Niang, potentially the two missing pieces with that lack of perimeter shooting to really help stretch the floor around Jared Allen and Evan Mobley and give Darius Garland, Donald Mitchell opportunities to thrive. We we're just talking about top six guys. So I, I think Cleveland has as good a shot as anyone to be that three seed. It's just a matter of if Evan Mobley keeps taking steps forward. Does Max Truss provide as much shooting as he did in Miami? Can he hold up as a, as a three-man defensively? Same thing with Jordan Yang. So all that will be interesting, but that's kind of my top three right now. You know, Philly obviously being a big question mark.
0: Yeah, that sounds good. And I'm definitely going to follow up on Philadelphia and Cleveland, but just a little bit more on Boston and Milwaukee. So you referenced that frightening top six for Boston, and I I couldn't agree more. But to what extent is the depth, which has been a little bit weakened, arguably, um, for Boston? I would say so. And also for Milwaukee, potentially each team's biggest challenge because those trades to acquire those stars did ship out some quality depth pieces.
1: Yeah, I, I think depth is like a little bit overrated of a factor in this conversation just because when you get to the playoffs, these teams are going to be playing seven, eight guys, really. That's fair. Yeah. So it's about getting there, right? And Boston's got Peyton Pritchard, who's going to be on a, you know, vengeance. It looks like he has been in the preseason. You got Campaign in Milwaukee, who wants to prove that. He's not someone that you just get cast aside from a contender like Phoenix. Even like Marsha and Beauchamp in Milwaukee, the Bucks really think that he can provide a yeah. lot of defense that they might be missing with Drew Holiday. So there's bodies there to help get through the 82-game grind.
0: Yeah, I feel like a lot of those guys, even though they haven't necessarily been there in a, a key spot for a contender, they're still quality guys. And these are like their 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th guys. That may not be getting a ton of minutes in the playoffs. Uh, let's go to Philadelphia. You've been all over that James Harden trade saga beat. Um, and it is a saga <laughs> that might be lingering on for quite some time. Philadelphia is no stranger to that. Ben, The Ben Simmons thing didn't happen that long ago. So this is my understanding of where things stand. It seems like they're at a little bit of a stalemate with the Clippers unwilling to part with Terrence Mann and or um, an additional first round draft pick. Is that basically where we are? And Harden didn't show up today as we record for practice. He was expected to. So just touch a little bit on that and how long you expect this to possibly linger.
1: Uh, Recording this on Wednesday afternoon. I still need to figure out and pin down a couple more specifics. But what I can say here is, yeah, like the Clippers haven't put Terrence Mann in in any deal. And the draft capital that they've been able to figure out that they could potentially send to Philadelphia in addition to the original offer of a first-round pick and a pick swap just hasn't gotten there to close that gap for the Sixers. So I don't think it will. I think, I mean, the last call I had about this before we were recording was like 30 minutes ago. and. My impression following that call is that the Sixers side of things, at least, they don't seem to think much will change from the negotiation standpoint between now and the start of the regular season. So if something were to happen, it would definitely be something out of left field. But at this rate, like who knows? I mean, Harden can do other things and make things happen. I I don't know what's going to happen. I don't think he knows. I don't think... It just It is kind of up in the air but what kind of antics will happen, but as far as I'm concerned, I'm definitely of the belief that James Harden will be on the Sixers roster come opening night.
0: Yeah, it's sure looking like that right now, and as you and others have pointed out, the Clippers do have leverage because he only really wants to go there, and so there aren't really other legitimate suitors right now it seems like so uh, they're also not in a rush to part with a guy they really love in Terrence Mann we'll we'll see Um, let's talk about Cleveland though Cleveland has a perfect mix in my opinion or ideal mix of excellent young talent and some veterans who are really starting to hit their stride like Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland now Donovan Mitchell has been in the east with cleveland for a season. They get better every year under JB Baker's staff. Just touch a little bit more upon that and how high you think their ceiling could be this season.
1: I think they could be the 3 seed like I was saying. To me to me the biggest swing factor is Evan Mobley. Like as much as Max Freese and the Georgian questions I talked about earlier like can they fill those gaps? It's about Evan Mobley realizing the potential that a lot of people on the league think he has. Can he be a linchpin on offense? Can he be a legitimate stretch, you know, three point shooter that makes defenses guard him out to that perimeter. And then he's got opportunities to make plays off the bounce, attacking closeouts. It's all about Evan Mobley in terms of like what their ultimate ceiling is. And I think we'll know within, you know, 10, 15 games, like we knew 10, 15 games into last season, that Palabankara was going to be a forced drive into the rim. And he was going to be one of the greatest players in the league, again, into the foul line. Like we'll know, pretty early if Evan Mobley has taken that step or is in position to take that step.
0: Yeah, that's fair. A lot does hinge on what he could do. You didn't mention the Knicks, if I'm not mistaken. I have not mentioned them yet. uh, What do you think about their chances of landing a top half seed in the playoffs? It seems like you like Miami, possibly Philadelphia, and definitely Cleveland more than that.
1: I mean, the Knicks could end up with the three seed, too. Like, it's possible. Jalen Bunsen's really good. I like Quentin Grimes. I like Dante DiVincenzo. I like Josh Hart. Julius Randle's questionable, you know, performances in the playoffs or something that just kind of hold me back right now from really believing in New York as, like, a threat in the East to, to make it out of there. Because we're talking about two separate things here, right? We're talking about how the order will end up in the yeah, standings. Are and are totally and, different. And, and who's winning and the championship, success. right? Right. Yeah. The Knicks could easily be at the third seat and host playoff games and what have you. It's, to me, the question marks are going to be there about Julius in the, in the postseason until they're not. I do wonder about just... I mean, the Knicks standing on this precipice of, you know, we have Jalen Brunson, we are kind of good, we've just signed another Villanova player and Dante DiVincenzo, we've got Ryan Archidiacono on a two-way... like. I, I am struggling to see the next leap from them being a good team to a great team. I don't know what it will be, but I feel like there is some move that has to be made for them to kind of take that next step. Even though they just waxed Cleveland in the playoffs like we saw, uh, I I, th- I think there's like a little bit being left to be desired from the current Knicks roster.
0: And also, like I said, in Cleveland's defense, they hadn't been to the playoffs with that core. So it it seems like now that they have that taste, they'll be a a very different playoff team. Um, An open-ended question for you about a dark horse team that we haven't mentioned yet. And you could define that however you want. Maybe someone Mm -hmm. that could sneak into the playoffs that no one's talking to, or even maybe get like a top four or five seed, something like that.
1: I really like Indiana. I mean, they were Me too. Right out, they were outside the play-in picture. By outside, I mean like in the top six conversation before Tyrese Halliburton sustained an injury at some point, like relatively early last year. They just went out and splurged on Bruce Brown. Everyone's a bit of a year a year older there. Benedict Matherin coming in as a rookie last season. Miles Turner now now has been paid after the whole DeAndre in question marks over there. So. I don't know how good they can be, but Tyrese Halliburton was one of the most impressive players I saw in the Fever World Cup. I really come to appreciate him as like just a, a personality and a, and a mind as much as a basketball mind For my conversations with him. I spent a couple of times speaking with him for stories and just kind of chopping it up off the record. And I know some people around him too. And I, I'm, I'm a big I'm a big fan, so I think he can lift that team pretty high, especially if all the other complimentary pieces can continue to perform. I mean, you've got Buddy Heald who wants to be shooting his way into a new contract. So there's a lot of incentive for this Pacers team to kind of take a step forward. I don't know how good they'll be, like I said, but they're going to be, you know, frisky and they're going to be fighting. And I don't think anyone's going to be like, oh, look, we we got the Pacers on our schedule tonight. That's going to be an easy win. I don't think that's going to be the case this year.
0: (laughs) I like that word frisky for them. And before I asked you about this, I actually wrote down two teams for mine and I said Pacers and I'll tell you the second one in a second. And I'm curious your thoughts on them, but the Pacers are interesting because I think they have more depth. People like Andrew Nemhard and Heald who were starters are probably not going to be starting. Mine is my understanding. And so now you have Halliburton back again. He's he's one of the best young guards in the league. And uh, yeah, I, I just think they're going to be motivated and fun, as you said. The Nets are actually my other one. And I don't know if that's a divisive pick. Ben Simmons, it's always you're not really sure what you're going to get from him. He appears to be motivated right now. Um, I just feel like they have a lot of athletic 3 and D guys people like Royce O'Neal, Dorian Finney-Smith, Miles Bridges can be a star, it seems like. Um, And that was a big question mark earlier in his career. Was he just an extremely good role player, like a third option on a team, or can he be the guy? So I kind of like the Nets. What do you think about that?
1: That's be fun. I mean, that's my home market. I live in Brooklyn. I was at the arena on Monday night, and like I – my first time seeing Ben in person and I wanted to see him and he looked healthy and fluid and strong and athletic. It's just the same question marks are there about the shot, about, you know, deflecting opera scoring opportunities to, uh, you know, kick it out when he could probably take a strong attack at someone. I mean, Mikhail bridges is the real piece there for me. Like can McHale continue what he did after he first got there from Phoenix and can he be the lead option on a real playoff team when that was kind of the team's biggest question mark and his biggest question mark and people thinking that you know Damian Lillard, for example, Brooklyn was somewhere in the periphery of those conversations because of the thought that like Brooklyn needed a point guard to really maximize this group. Well, you know, he's in Milwaukee now, of course. Drew Holiday's not in Brooklyn. We'll we'll then Will the Nets like have that point guard be Ben Simmons or will they have to go somewhere else? And can Mikhail Bridges be an attractive piece that someone will want to come play for? I think that's kind of the ultimate goal with Brooklyn. Like, can we be good? Can we be fun? Can we establish an identity and a culture similar to kind of what we had before Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and James Harden were here? Can Mikhail be that standard bearer? And can he be an advertisement for someone to come join him?
0: Yeah. Let's transition for a brief discussion on rookies. For good reason, all the buzz has pretty much been garnered by, I think, Chet Holmgren, Victor Wembayama, and Scoot Henderson. And um, those three are amazing. But we're talking about the Eastern Conference. There are a lot of quality rookies out there. Two-part question. Who do you think can make the biggest impact it can be one or multiple rookies in the east this season and then if there's someone who may not get the opportunities this season but you project to being a really quality nba player down the line
1: i'll say Asar thompson in detroit i think he's got a chance to start from day one and i'm I'm personally very high on both the thompson twins i think they're Really, really impressive with their athleticism, their playmaking, their passing, their defense. I think it's going to be pretty instant in terms of like their impact from day one. I don't know how good the Pistons will be. I don't know how much he'll drive winning right away, but I think he'll make winning plays. And I think he's going to be a, a person who's hard for the coaches to take off the floor. You go down to Orlando, and they've got a lot to figure out at the guard spot with Cole Anthony upcoming, You know his contract extension upcoming. You got Markel Fultz, Jalen Suggs, but Anthony Black, I really do like. I don't think he's someone who's going to have tremendous opportunity to like run that team this year, but they took him number six overall. They have clear expectations for him to be a strong player, and I've really liked him. Uh, I mean, I don't watch a ton of college anymore, but the little stuff I saw, he was someone at Arkansas that I really liked.
0: And um, as we wind down, I I do want to ask you which teams you see as having the biggest pressure to succeed this season, however you define succeeding. That's kind of also related to hottest seats for for head coaches. Um, For me, I'll just say mine really quickly. So I think Atlanta, there's kind of a lot of pressure there with the Trey Young, DeJounte Murray whole thing, that tandem. Um, I'm going to say Missoula with the Celtics. I think just because of such high expectations, there's a lot of pressure there. And the other one that I was thinking is Philadelphia. I'm um, not necessarily for a nurse in his first year, but just they need to get to a conference finals. Is is it going to happen or isn't it for Joel Embiid there? Those are my three.
1: Yeah, to me, pressure comes with stakes and expectations. And the Sixers have the reigning MVP who is about to turn 30 and they need to Try to compete for a championship with him. That's pretty much the bottom line. So to me, most pressure. Yeah, I'm, I'm not thinking about that as a coaching hot seat situation either with Philadelphia. But there's an organizational pressure, especially when you've got right now the Eagles are one of, if not the leading candidates to for the Super Bowl. Not, not after a pretty poor performance against the Jets, but they're five and one atop the conference. The Phillies are six win shy of winning a World Series. Like that that city is pretty used to winning right now. And if the Sixers come out and they fall flat on their face, I think it will be heard rather loudly and clearly.
0: You've been extremely generous with your time. And we know it's really limited, especially around this time of year. So I'll just ask you to close with something that can be as brief as you want. FIBA, just talk about your special experiences covering the tournament and or your takeaways on the court there.
1: It was a great time. I was there for 19 days. Philippines was a very interesting country. Very, very nice people. Really good food. A lot of pork, a lot of chicken, a lot of rice, a lot of garlic rice. Uh, And and I'll say this. I would love for the NBA to figure out a way how to make their game be a 40-minute game. The 40-minute game in FIBA flies quickly. The lack of TV timeouts. I really enjoyed it. So that's my biggest takeaway. Give me 40-minute basketball games. It's only two minutes per quarter it's not that much but over the over the grand course of things it feels like a ton so that is my big takeaway
0: so cool always a pleasure jake thanks a lot for doing this. thank you